Eye on 2020, episode 126. Have 2020 vision with Eye on 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, the host that brings you the news, the related events, the debates. That's right. The Democratic debate happened last night, and here I am. I have survived. I survived watching a debate about a bunch of Democrats. Ten of them got on stage, and they just had all the promises in the world. They act like they know everything and that they have all the answers to every single issue in the world. Uh, So here I am. I survived. I did not shoot myself. I thought I would, but I didn't. Uh, luckily, I didn't have a gun in the house because uh, it was really hard to watch. It was like pulling teeth. I would have rather went to the dentist and had them pull my teeth with no Novocaine. I would have rather had open heart surgery without being put to sleep. Uh, there's a lot of things I would have rather done for the last two hours than that. But I did it for you because I heard a lot of libertarians saying that they do not want to watch the debates. And here I am. I watch the debates to make sure that I can bring all that information to you. Gets you guys excited about all the great grand promises that they made and let you know about my critique of all these promises as well. Because there was a lot of promises made, I tell you what. And uh, it was on MSNBC, it was also on NBC, and I'm sitting there watching it and I'm thinking to myself, I'm watching on my iPad and I have a Spectrum app, which is the Spectrum cable company that we use here in the town that I live in. And next to the TV, next to the screen that has all the TV shows that are going on right then, I'm thinking to myself, man, I'd rather be watching anything besides this. I think there was one, I don't, I don't watch a lot of TV, so forgive me if I don't know the names of these shows, but there was one that was like something, the, some lady, the virgin or something like that. I'm thinking to myself, I'd rather be watching that. It's probably a comedy show. I saw that it was the amazing race on and it was a two-hour special, so it must have been the end of The Amazing Race. And I'm thinking to myself, I could be watching that right now, but nope. I'm hanging out watching the debates. And you guys know how I feel about Democrats and all their promises. You guys know how I feel about Republicans and all their promises, right? I can't stand politicians who make promises in the first place because all they're doing is promising your money, my money, and everyone else's money so that they can get things done. They're promising to make laws so that they can get their will passed upon you. That's all they're doing. Every single time they make a single promise, whatever it is, it's just a way to take away some of your freedom in exchange for a little bit of security so that one day when you go to the voting booth, you're making a decision based upon, hey, I already get this from the government Do I want to give it up or not? No, I don't want to give it up. So I'm going to vote for this candidate because of that. That's all they're trying to do is try to pull power away from the people every single time by giving you a little bit of security. But when all that stuff falls apart, when the whole house of cards that the federal government is built upon and the money that they have starts to fall apart, 
that's when you're left with no security whatsoever and complete dependence upon the government. And that's why I cannot stand promises made by candidates. But I sat there and listened to the entire the, the entire two hours of it. I uh, left during one commercial break to go grab a drink. And then I kept on watching and watching. I just made sure that I am ready to go with a great show for you guys and let you guys know how I felt about the debates. So while you got a second, go ahead, subscribe to the show. Uh, so you'll hear the show tomorrow. You could also go back and listen to the 125 episodes previous to this one as well. I think that you will like them. I go over a lot of the topics that these candidates cover, uh, a lot of the issues that they cover. I go into them in very uh, thorough detail a lot of times. And I also have multiple episodes about the candidates themselves and so forth. So go ahead and listen to some of the shows previous to this one as well. And then... Go ahead, if you really like what you hear, give me a five-star rating and a review. That helps with the algorithms, make sure that I'm getting shown on all the podcatchers whenever they uh, recommend different podcasts. Well, hey, this one will be there, and then you'll help me get my message out there. And my message is a libertarian message, a message that says that we believe in non-aggression, that we believe in freedom for people, that we believe in liberty, that I believe in you know, self-sufficiency and so forth. Those are the things that the libertarians believe in. The most important part of that is non-aggression, that we will not act aggressively against our neighbor or anybody else, neither while I ask somebody else to ask aggress- act aggressively for me, including the government. So those are the things, that's the principles that I follow. That's the thing that I make sure that I believe that that would be the best way to live in this world. And I try to be as consistent with that as possible. So these politicians tonight. So here is the lineup that they had on that stage, okay? You had Elizabeth Warren, and she was the top contender. It was kind of like the lightweight segment tonight. A lot of the people that were on the stage had like 1% and 2%. Elizabeth Warren's the only one that was like a top contender. You had Beto O'Rourke up there. You had Cory Booker up there. So there was 10 of them. You had Amy Klobuchar up there. Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington, was up there. Tulsi Gabbard, John Delaney, representative from Maryland, Julian Castro, Tim Ryan, and also Bill de Blasio, who is the uh, mayor of New York. Those were the 10 candidates that were on stage tonight. So when I was thinking about the candidates, I was also thinking about what the people that are watching it are going to be thinking about these candidates. What the, what's the questions that they're going to be asking in their minds when they start watching these debates? So there's two debates going on for the next two for the for tonight because I'm recording this at 11:30 at night. The uh, the day before you're going to hear this, so this will be released on Thursday morning. And so that was last night. If you're listening to it, it's last night they had the debate, and then there's going to be another day, debate tonight. So that's Wednesday night and Thursday night. And I was thinking to myself. What are the people that are listening to these debates, that are watching them, what's the things that are going to be going through their mind when they're watching this debate, right? So I wrote down a couple of questions. The first thing that I thought is they're going to be thinking to themselves, who can beat Trump? Because that's one of the most important issues that Democrats are thinking about. Who can beat Trump? The people that really hate Trump, the 35% or 37% of people that despise Trump, that's what they're thinking in their minds. Who can beat Trump? 
who can stand up to Trump? That's another question they're going to be thinking. Who can stand up? Who's going to be the confident person that could stand up to Trump during the debates that they have? Who's going to call Donald Trump out on his issues, right? Also, who looks the most confident? Obviously, when you're on those debate stages, you can your confidence is really going to tell whether you're going to be good on the stage against Donald Trump as well. And you also notice when, when these people are on the stage, obviously they're, it's their first debate. So a few of them are going to be a little bit less confident. They might not sound as, you know, as good on the stage as well. And, and you notice that when Donald Trump was going against Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton won the first debate. She looked the most confident. Donald Trump won the second debate. But, I mean, it was two totally different performances during those debates. So these people, they can change from one debate to the next as well. But that's what people are thinking in their minds. Who looks the most confident? Who knows their stuff? When they're talking, which person on that debate stage knew their stuff the best? Also, um, who's the best on, like, the gun laws? Who's the best on health care? Who knows their stuff on health care? And who knows their stuff on the economy? And I put that at the very end, who knows their stuff in the economy, because it did not seem like that was a huge issue in this particular debate, the economy. I mean, it, it hardly even came. It came up briefly in the beginning of the debate when they said, when they asked a few questions about the economy is pretty good, but what are you going to do? And every single one of them that they asked this question to about the economy, there was one particular quote that more than one of them said, it said, they, they said, the economy has to work for everyone. We need an economy that is going to work for everyone. Like, multiple people said that. That's like their scripted thing to say for every single one of these people. It must be a tested word, an economy that's going to be good for everybody. So, but those are the questions that I thought that they were going to be, that the, the, the people that are watching this show, what questions are they going to be thinking in their minds? Well, those are the questions. And the most important one that I thought is who can beat Trump? Who can stand up to Trump? And when I watched this debate, to be honest with you guys, Cory Booker, in my mind, is the one that came off as the most knowledgeable, the most confident, and also the one that seemed like he would be, you know, just enough of a jerk to be able to stand up to Trump as well. Now, that's not saying that he is the best candidate from a libertarian perspective. All I'm saying is that if you could look at it objectively, Cory Booker had the answers down pat that the Democrats want to hear. He spoke confidently. He knew his stuff. And he was able to take control of the conversations that were going on up there on that stage. And I think that this is my feeling is that he won that debate hands down against all of the other ones. He was the one that kind of took the most control and was able to sidestep questions here, sidestep questions there, and go straight for the question that he wanted to answer rather than getting pinned down with the questions that they were asking him. Uh, that was my, that's my general overview of the debate is that Cory Booker seemed like he was the one that's going to get the most out of this thing. They did ask a lot of questions to Cory Booker. I think they asked the most questions to Elizabeth Warren because she is the front runner that was on that stage. And it seemed kind of scripted to me, to be honest with you. When I'm listening to them talk to her, they say they kept follow the, the very last line of every question they asked her was, 
do you have a plan for that? Because you know what her motto is, I have a plan for that. And they always asked her that. And they said, do you have a plan for that? And she said, she'd always look at it and she basically looks in the camera and she says, I, yes, I do have a plan for that. And her crowd, her, you know, her fanboys that were in the crowd would start cheering for that. Cause it seemed like it was scripted to me. It was very unusual. And I doubt that they, they do this on purpose, but you know what? I think that they might've done that on purpose. I'm not sure because they did ask her the most questions. So was this Elizabeth Warren time? Is she the favorite for these people? I have no idea. Um, but it just seemed like that was very scripted to me. Um, one of the highlights to me of the debate, one of the most important things that happened during the debate was when they asked Tulsi Gabbard a question, she completely ignored the question and she went right on to the anti-war issue almost immediately. And I did like that. She said, she talked about wanting to end the wars that we need to, that the most important thing we do is hit on the war issue, you know, get get ourselves out of these wars so that we can start using that money and saving that money and then spend it elsewhere. But she basically sidestepped the question that they asked her and went right down the road of making an anti-war pitch, being that candidate that was going to make the anti-war pitch. She did not have a Ron Paul moment at all, but, but there was one point where you're going to want to, you're probably going to want to Google this or maybe YouTube it, she was going back and forth with Tim Ryan. And Tim Ryan made the point and said that we need to stay engaged in the world. We need to stay engaged in Afghanistan. And then he started saying, because as soon as we leave them alone, the Taliban starts doing stuff, and we don't need them to start having acts of terror again, like flying into buildings and all that. And then Tulsi Gabbard speaks up, and she says, what are you talking about? It was Al-Qaeda that flew into those buildings. It was not the Taliban. They've been there way before we were there. And they're going to be there way after we're there. We're losing this war. We need to come home. And Tim Ryan doubled down on it and said, no, we need to stay there. We need to stay engaged and all that. And Tulsi Gower says, well, what are you going to do is tell those two, the two parents of the people that died? I guess recently a couple of soldiers had died uh, in Afghanistan and the Taliban took credit for it. And she says, what are you going to tell those two? What's the reason why we're still there? What are you going to tell their parents? The reason why we're still there after 17 years and trillions of dollars in debt. Tim Ryan had no answer for that. He lost that battle, but that was kind of like Tulsi's little moment there. And I would love to see the polls afterwards to see if that was something that helped her out because she took a stance on that big time and no other candidate stood up and tried to say anything about this, but I mean, how stupid can Tim Ryan be that he is going to sit there and uh, say that the Taliban is the one that flew the planes in the building and all of that? I mean, it's just crazy. But he's an Ohio congressman. I was not impressed with him at all, actually. Uh, he's actually probably going to drop out after this. He did not do well. He did not perform well. He hardly got any questions, and he seemed kind of timid up there on stage. He's not a good speaker. He doesn't have a good presence on the stage or anything like that. So when you get down to my questions about Donald Trump, who can beat Donald Trump, he is definitely not going to be the person on the people's list of somebody that can beat Donald Trump. So he will slowly lose support. He's going to be dropping out soon. But yeah, that's the, that's the main highlight that I found 
from the de- from the debate. But that's because you guys know me. I'm an anti-war person. I can't stand the fact that we have foreign interventions all over the world, and I would love to see us bring those people home. Um, another highlight on the anti-war issue is this. They were asking... Now, there was probably, of a two-hour debate, there was probably less than five minutes spent on foreign policy. The, very little bit of time spent on foreign policy. But during that particular exchange between Tim Ryan and Tulsi Gabbard, um, Bill de Blasio did stand up and say that he thinks that the Congress needs to look at the War Powers Act again and take the power back from the president and put it back into Congress's hands. That's what Bill de Blasio said. He said, I was, it, it didn't work during Vietnam. I'm a child that grew up during the Vietnam era, and it didn't work back then, and we need to take that power back from the president and give it back to the Congress. It has to be the Congress that would declare war, especially on Iran and so forth. And I thought that was a ballsy move for him as well. So that's a good thing for those particular candidates. No other candidate seemed like they stood up for those particular issues. A lot of them did not seem like they knew too much about foreign policy, though, or did they care about foreign policy? I doubt it. And the reason why is because that is not something that the Democrats care too much about either. I did an episode on this several episodes ago that Democrats do not care about foreign policy whatsoever. There are some that do care because when Tulsi Gabbard was going back and forth with Tim Ryan, there was some cheers and so forth, but that was probably her fan people that were there that were, you know, doing those cheers as well. Uh, It does not seem like the other candidates were willing to stand up and defend her on that particular issue, and she kind of stood alone in that. But Bill de Blasio did stand up and say the the issue is we need to take the war powers – you know, the war powers away from the president and give it back to the Congress and so forth. That was a smart move. Um, but getting into all the other stuff, there was lots and lots and lots of promises, 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 promises made by these candidates. So let me go through some of those really fast. So promises were made, Medicare for all, abortions paid by the government through Medicare for all, or for Medicare, you know, if there is any type of Medicare that's offered to people that are poor and so forth, because everyone said, a lot of them said that they wanted Medicare for all. Most of them said that at the very minimum, they want Medicare as an option for all, right? So I think it was whenever they stood up, they or they asked all the, all the candidates the question, who would give up all of their, all private insurance and just have Medicare and only two of them raised their hands. I think it was Bill de Blasio. He's actually a really big progressive, by the way. And then obviously Elizabeth Warren. So they were totally confident in government-run health care completely. No one else uh, raised their hands. All of them seemed like they wanted some sort of middle ground where they're going to offer Medicare for all to everybody, but it's not going to be mandatory, right? That's what it seemed like to me. So all of them said Medicare for all. But they all wanted it in some way to be have a public option as well as the um, private options to stay. But in all of those cases, they wanted abortion to be paid by government through Medicare if needed. Also, one of them even said that they wanted trans people to be able to have the right to have uh, transitions paid for by Medicare. 
So some of them went, I don't know if all of them believe that, but one of them specifically said that. So I wrote that down as one of the promises as well. No limits on abortion at all. Federal law protecting Roe versus Wade. So that's that, some of them said that they wanted that. Free college tuition, getting rid of uh, student loan debt as well. Invest in green energy. They want a Marshall Plan for Honduras and Nicaragua. This is not all of them, but that was something that was brought up. That one of them said they would like to see a Marshall Plan for Honduras and Nicaragua. They said we need to address, and this is multiple people that said this, they need to address the cause and the reason why these people are leaving their country and seeking asylum in America. So they wanted a Marshall Plan. So we're going to take American money and go down there and rebuild these countries, I guess. To me, that doesn't make sense whatsoever. So anyway, moving on. Getting back into the Iran nuclear deal. They, a lot of them talked about that. Then that was a very brief point of the conversation as well. Like I said, foreign policy was barely talked about because they probably would start losing ratings from Democrats watching if they stayed on foreign policy too long. Because as you guys know, I know I feel about this. Democrats don't care about foreign policy. So they want to get back in the nuclear deal. Only one person said that they would not get back in the nuclear deal, and that was Cory Booker. But then he did say he would. He thought it was a bad idea to get out of it in the first place. But what he would do is he'd go in there and try to negotiate a better deal. Well, that's the same thing that Donald Trump said as well. But these people work, and that's someone that thinks that they just know better than everybody else. Like Donald Trump, Cory Booker thinks he knows better than everybody else. But he said it with some major confidence that makes you kind of believe that he can do it, I guess. But he just thinks that he can make a better deal somehow when... The reality is it spent they spent 10 years negotiating that deal. And then America got into it, along with all these other countries, under Barack Obama. Iran was okay with it, and they were being held accountable to it. And then America gets out of it when Donald Trump comes in office. America gets out of it. It was our decision to leave it. And then we leave Iran hanging. And now all the other countries are trying to get... You know, trying to get them to stay, go along with the nuclear deal. But Iran's like, no, it's not even, you know, America's not fulfilling their end of the bargain. So we're not going to do this. So they spent 10 years negotiating that thing. So anyway, but all of them want to get into it, back into it, except for Cory Booker, who thinks that he can pull a Donald Trump and get a little bit better deal. Government should get guns off the streets. So they asked the question in the debate. That's amazing that they would even ask this. Should the government confiscate the weapons from the people? They said all of the, we could pass these bills about no bump stocks. We could pass these bills about getting rid of some of the, you know, extended clips. We can get rid of, you know, the machine guns. We can get rid of semi-automatic weapons and all that. But should the government, what are we going to do? How are we going to deal with the hundreds of millions of guns that are already out there? That's what they said. Should the government have some responsibility to get, those guns off the streets as well. Believe it or not, Elizabeth Warren sidestepped that question and did not answer it directly. But you can believe more than one of these other candidates were willing to say, yes, we need to do this. And Cory Booker specifically, he seemed the most confident he won the night based upon the questions that I talked about, right? But he is all about, he, he said that he is for having a buyback program from the government, and confiscating weapons if necessary. Like, he is totally for those things. 
And so that's one of the things. And then a lot of them talk about common sense gun control as well. We all wonder what on earth common sense gun control is. That's a very subjective term, but they all use that because they don't want to tread too far on the Second Amendment. But that's what they're looking to do. I mean, Cory Booker is looking to tread on the Second Amendment. He's looking to destroy the Second Amendment in some ways. But he's not looking to close on gun factories or anything like that. It doesn't sound like to me. But you know what? I think that he would leave that on the table if he could. Um, it sounded like that to me. So, And then the next promise, all schools need to have mental health counselors in every school, trauma-based care in all the schools, because that's we need to address the issues of the kids that are actually going in there and shooting up the schools. So all of our kids are basically going to have mental health counselors, not just a counselor at school, a guidance counselor, but mental health in every single school as well. So they're going to know what your kids are doing. They're going to be knowing their mental health status. They're going to be able to declare them mentally incompetent. They're going to be able to put them on drugs if they want to as well. I'll get off of the uh, editorial side of this, though. I'm just going with the facts right now. But that's how I feel. Uh, 100% clean electric energy bill. One of them wants to pass that. Also, they talked about a carbon tax. So that's pretty much the main promises that they were making. And you guys know that... Most of these promises, it seems like to me, would be very hard to get through a Congress and a Senate or a House and a Senate that's run by the Republicans. The House is not run by the Republicans, but the Senate is. Most of these candidates sidestep the question that when they ask, how would you get it through a Senate that's not willing to take up these issues? How would you do that? Most of them sidestep the issue. They did not want to come to an idea of a bipartisan idea most of them were just they're just hoping that they can have complete control of the government again with democrats in the house the senate and in the presidency and that's what they're hoping for so they can get all of these promises through that is a lot of money being spent though like clean energy they're talking about you know trillions of dollars in investment in, in green energy and subsidies and all that stuff medicare for all you know, all this, all these things that are just going to cost a fortune. And none, not one time did they address that particular issue as well. They also did not talk too much about the economy. They did ask a few questions about the economy in the beginning. And there was a few answers to that. But all of them said, you know, it's the top 1% that are making all the money, that, that, that people are being left behind, that people can't pay their electric bills, that people are starving in the streets. Like it was all doom and gloom. I don't know about you guys, but I don't see that that much. Maybe I'm just a middle-class guy that's doing fine in whatever else it is, but I just don't see that. I see most of my friends, most of my family, seems like they're doing okay. Yes, there are people that are poor. There's people that are on drugs. There's people that are having problems in this world, but that's always going to be the case. Some of those problems are brought on by themselves. Some of them are brought on by circumstances that they might not be able to, might not be able to overcome outside conditions that they can't overcome whatever but there's always gonna be those challenges but the you know they the wages seem like they're going up unemployment is very low and so forth so i don't see it all the doom and gloom but the president not the president the presidential candidates they have to say all that stuff because that's how they're going to get people on board with them because all of the rich people all the all the middle class and upper middle class democrats that are going to vote for them and somehow they feel like in their minds that everyone else is worse off than them 
and you know we need to take care of people and all that right so that's just the way it is um i think that the bill de blasio he seemed like he was he's a big time progressive like he wants the 70 percent tax on all wealth um or all you know wealthy people that are the top one percent he talked about how the one percent is so bad um and everything else but he seemed like he knew what he was talking about he jumped into a bunch of different conversations as well. He was only asked like two questions in the first 90 minutes, but he had to bar- he had to barge his way in several times to get some speaker time, but he seemed like he knew what he was talking about. He's one of those that he might be he might have gotten some more supporters during this particular uh debate. That's what I think. But they didn't stand out. Like, he didn't stand out specifically. The only one that stood out to me, like I said, is Cory Booker. Cory Booker's been around 1% or 2%. I think he's going to probably bump up to, like, 7 or 8% after after this is over with. Um, he's going to pull away from, like, Beto O'Rourke, who seemed very timid on stage and so forth. So let me see. Let me tell you guys what I think about who is going to be gone and who is still going to be in it after this is over with, Okay. So Elizabeth Warren will still be in it after this. She seemed to me like she she had the answers to all the questions. She knew what she was talking about. She's very much playing it from the left, though, big time. Like, she's not trying to take too much of a middle ground at all. She did sound like she was in pain the entire time, though. Like, she her voice cracks. She seems like an old grandma to me. I don't know if that's going to resonate with people very much, but she'll still be in it because she got a lot of speaking time. She knew what she was talking about and... They really played it to her by asking her questions like, do you have a plan for that? And she'd say, yes, I do have a plan for that. So, I mean, she'll be fine after this is over. Beto O'Rourke, he seemed timid and quiet. He seemed like he was just on board with everything. You know, like whatever the, that's what it seems like. He's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'm good with that. We'll just, yeah, Medicare for all, sure, sounds good to me. Like he, he knew his stuff slightly, but he seemed pretty much rehearsed. He didn't seem comfortable on stage as much. Uh, there was one point where I thought that he was feeling very comfortable, and he actually spoke Spanish during the debate as well. Uh, and he and Cory Booker actually spoke Spanish during the debate as well. But I don't know that he, I don't know that it really helped him out. That I don't know this helped him out. I don't think that he had a huge presence on stage. Cory Booker, you guys know how I felt. He was he was pretty much the winner of the night. He seemed very confident. Seemed like someone that could take on Trump. And he did speak Spanish directly to Hispanic people as well. So that definitely is going to play to some of these bases. Amy Klobuchar, she knew what she was talking about. She seemed like she's taking the middle ground. Um, I don't know that that's going to resonate with the people. But, you know, if they're looking for somebody that has the middle ground, uh, it might help her out. The only thing is, is she didn't seem like she had a big presence on stage. She didn't seem, she seemed like she just knew stuff. She knew what's going on. But she didn't seem like presidential to me. And that's just my opinion. I don't know how other people felt. Jay Inslee of Washington, he got maybe three or four questions throughout the night. Uh, he, he is, his number one issue, his number two issue, and his number three issues are climate change. He says that that's the number one thing that we need to focus on in this world right now. Um, and that's what he's going to be, that's what he's going to focus on as president. Uh, he wants to take away the filibuster from the Senate. Uh, and 
That, I mean, that, those are the few things that he was talking about. But oh, and he supports unions big time. But those are the things that he talked about. But he didn't get a lot of you know talking time on stage. But he seemed like he knew what he was talking about when he was up there. He seemed slightly presidential. He might have got his name out there as somebody that people will recognize now. But I don't think that it's going to move him up in the polls. I don't think he's going to get more than 1% or 2% of the vote ever. Tulsi Gabbard. She had a good night in the sense that she was able to address the anti-war issue thoroughly on more than one occasion, which worked well. Um, It didn't help her out in the sense that she did not get into a lot of the policy issues that the Democrats want to hear. But then again, I think her entire point of being on that stage is to make the anti-war message, the non-aggression message, you know, the non-aggressive foreign policy message um, front and center in her campaign. So it worked for her. So I think that was good. Um, Next candidate, Maryland Rep. John Delaney, did not get a lot of time. He's very much a middle-of-the-road candidate. Um, I don't see him as the person that's going to be... I I think that he'll be dropping out soon. He didn't... didn't really bring up a lot of different issues. He didn't differentiate himself very well. So we'll see how it works for him. But uh, it wasn't good for him. Julian Castro got a lot of time as well on stage. He knows his stuff. He's well-versed in the issues of immigration, well-versed in a lot of the issues of um, equality and so forth, but not really well-versed in like foreign policy. Didn't really... He he kind of looked like your your brother on stage, you know, like someone that you knew on stage and, you know, just like a friendly guy. And that's it. But he didn't have like presidential. He didn't seem confident. He knew his stuff, but he didn't seem confident when he was talking. He just was like a friendly guy on stage. That's how I felt about him. So um, I, I don't know if he's going to go too much further as well. Tim Ryan, Ohio congressman. He's for a carbon tax. He's kind of, you know a middle-of-the-ground guy, middle-road guy as well. He's not a very good speaker. I wrote that down on my notes. And uh, he doesn't have, like, a very very commanding presence of the stage as well. So I don't know that it was very helpful to him. But you know what? This is what the people are doing is they're kind of narrowing down who they're going to vote for and who they're not going to vote for, right? And then the last one was Mayor Bill de Blasio. I think that if anyone won the debate... It was Cory Booker. If anybody came in third, it was Mayor Bill de Blasio. He was able to come in to the conversation by barging in and getting his foot in the door and getting his voice out there. And he was able to put some good points into the conversation that liberals will like to hear. Like making, like if this party is going to win again, we need to make it the party of the people. And how are we going to do that? You know, we need to make it the party of the working people. It used to be the party of the working people, and now it needs to get back to that. We, I, we need to boldly say that we'll have 70% tax on wealth. We need strong, bold, progressive agendas. So, I mean, he was very confident when he said that. So if he came in a, a strong third in this debate, I would say that he will go from 1% to like 2 or 3%. He might become a contender in the next couple of debates as well. So... That is my entire wrap-up of the debates. I survived, like I said. I still am. I'm still alive. So you know that tonight I'll be watching the debates again. 
I'll be watching the next group. And I think it's going to be Bernie Sanders, or the, the, the premier people on there is going to be Bernie Sanders and Vice President Joe Biden, right? Then you'll have a few other people on there as well, Pete Buttigieg and so forth. I will bring that to you for the next show tomorrow, but you guys keep on tuning into this show, okay? Uh, go back and listen to some of my previous shows as well. Uh, if you like what you hear, subscribe to the show. Give me a five-star rating and review. You can also check me out at iontheempire.com. That is my website, as well as if you type in I on the Empire onto Twitter, Facebook, and now Minds, you'll be able to find me there as well. And then email me, ray at iontheempire.com. I would love to hear from you. Tell me some stories about things that you're doing for the libertarian movement, and I'll give you the last minute of my show. You guys have heard multiple people that I've you know talked up in the past, as well as you know different organizations and stuff. Uh, I'm doing that. I want to let people know about the libertarian movement, what people are doing for it. So if you write, if you email me, Ray at IonTheEmpire.com, I will talk about that on my show as well, okay? If you'd like to go out and support the show, you can do that as well. Anchor.fm slash IonTheEmpire. You can support the show with a $2.99 donation, a $4.99 donation, or even a $9.99 donation if you really like what you hear. And then uh, you could also leave me a voice message there. If you leave me a one-minute voice message about what you're doing for the libertarian movement, I'll probably play that on the show. And uh, and even give you a response if if you have any questions and so forth. But I really appreciate you listening to the show. I do. Keep on coming back, and you'll have clear vision for 2020.